We're in a, a three-week series talking about the, the vision of the church. We start a long series in Ecclesiastes next Sunday. We're excited about so you can come back for that and uh, be here for the first week. But we've been in a three-week series talking about the, the vision of the church. And just to make a distinction for you, the, the mission of the church is to make disciples, That comes from Matthew 28 when Jesus, the last words he says to his disciples is go and make disciples of all nations. So if you're following in your notes, the mission of every church is to make disciples. That's why we exist, to make followers of Jesus. But the vision of a church is unique to each church and it describes the type of followers a church seeks to make. So two weeks ago, Jeff gave a reminder of who we're called to be, what kind of disciples we want to become and make. And so as a reminder, would you read our vision statement with me from our banners? It says, we are fighting shallow Christianity by becoming H3 disciples of Jesus who are hungry, humble, and hospitable. If you're following in your notes, the vision for Cherry Hills is to become and make H3 disciples. That's our vision. And last week, as Steve talked about this vision, he talked about what it means to fight shallow Christianity. And what we learned, if you're following in your notes, is that becoming like Jesus doesn't just happen, it's a fight. Becoming like Jesus doesn't just happen, it's a fight. We don't just slip into it. It doesn't just happen one morning when we wake up. We have to train ourselves by the renewing of our minds. By the renewing of our minds. Steve used this great illustration, right, of morphing. The goal of our lives is to morph into the very likeness of Jesus in every part of our lives, right? His love, his kindness, his compassion, his grace, his truth, his honesty, his invitation, his challenge. In every part of our lives, whether it's our parenting or marriages or work or community, kids' sports teams, every area of our lives becoming like Jesus, And this is so cool how God works, but one day when I was out running over sabbatical, God clearly impressed on me the message I was supposed to give today. And what you need to know about that is that Jeff and Steve were set to teach an entirely different three-week series and felt like God prompted them to teach on this, and it lines up with exactly what God wanted me to speak on this Sunday. And the phrase that God kept bringing to my mind that he wanted us to talk about this morning was this. If you're following in your notes, why is becoming like Jesus so hard? Why is it so hard? I want to be a parent who loves my my kids and instructs them well, but too often I get on them for inconveniencing me. I want to love my wife as Christ loves the church, but all too often I get on her because she doesn't do things the way that I would do them. I watch the news and see how people call themselves Christians but hate people of a different skin color, and I want to hate them. I just have these habit patterns in my mind that I keep coming back to again and again that I've formed throughout my life. And we all have these, right? 
I mean, we all do things we don't want to do, and we tend to do them over and over. For you, it might not be your marriage, it might not be in your parenting, it might be a habit pattern in your job, in how you treat people, how you speak to them, the tone of voice you use, the inability to forgive someone who's hurt you, the addiction you can't get away from. Maybe it's the thought patterns in your mind, across the ticker of your mind, the thought patterns you battle against every day about how you view yourself, how you view others, how you view God. Maybe it's the impatience that creeps in all the time or the judgment of people who aren't like you. Perhaps it's trying to find fulfillment and joy in life by purchasing things or having experiences. Maybe it's the anxiety and worry and fear of the future. I don't know what it is for you, but I know there's something that every person in this room wrestles with and battles against. And the reason I know that is because we are all human. And if you're following in your notes, we all struggle with the influence of sin in our lives. We all struggle. Let's just level the playing field this morning. We all struggle with this. We do things we don't want to do. And then we beat ourselves up because we did them. So to help us understand this struggle with sin and why becoming like Jesus is so hard, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. It's about two-thirds back in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there are black Bibles in the seat back in front of you. I invite you to open one and follow along. Uh, You can have that Bible as a gift if you don't own a Bible. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. In a few minutes, we're going to read this entire section of Scripture together. There's something that happens when God's Word's proclaimed and read. So we're going to read this together, and we're going to read it on the screen in the New Living Translation. I like that translation because I think it still captures the main point of the text, but makes it a little easier to understand. This is the one of the most confusing texts in 2,000 years of church history. So I'm really thankful that's the one God gave me to talk on. Um, but we're going to try to understand this together. But I encourage you to have your Bibles open. That you can circle and write notes and underline and, and, um, and follow along. So to set the context of this verse, before we read it together, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome about 60 AD, 30 years after Jesus has died and rose from the dead. Paul was a man, Steve talked a little bit about him last week, but he's a man who lived at the time of Jesus, and he was actually a Jewish religious leader in Israel, and he persecuted people who followed Jesus, he murdered them. He couldn't stand that people would follow this Jesus. Until one day, through a vision, Jesus spoke to Paul, and Paul's life was never the same. He would go on to plant churches and tell others the good news about Jesus. He's one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever seen. So you have this super Christian, right? If ever there's been a super Christian, Paul's the super Christian, and he's writing a letter to the church at Rome, and he shares his personal struggles with them. And what I love about these verses is that we get inside Paul's head. We get inside the head of a genuine follower of Jesus who struggles with sin. It's almost 
like we can see it in real time. And so would you read with me on the screen? We're going to read 10 verses together, beginning in Romans 7.15. These are the words of Paul. Do not feel bad if it gets a little confusing. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Here is my summary of what we just read. Paul is saying, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? If I had to pick a phrase that I wrestled with over sabbatical this summer, it would be, what is wrong with me? Why do I do what I don't want to do? And why do I not do what I want to do? What is wrong with me? And it's my conviction, if you're following along in your notes, at some point, we all say, what is wrong with me? We all say it. We all think it. I'm messed up. I am totally jacked up. What is wrong with me? And the verse that kept coming to mind almost every time I messed up, it beat me up one side and down the other was Romans 7.15. Would you read this with me in the first gray box in your notes? I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And as I ran, I would hear this, you don't do what is right. You do what's wrong. You do what you hate. And Paul would repeat the same thing in verses 18 and 19. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it. Man, no truer words describe me. And by the way, don't just think they're actions. I think Paul's talking about thoughts. I want to think a certain way, but I don't. I don't want to believe that lie, but I do. What is wrong with me? And I have these imaginary conversations with myself. Why did you speak that way? Why did you let yourself get so worked up about that? Why was that such a big deal to you? Why do you think of yourself that way? What is wrong with me? And I, I told Sarah about these thoughts, and she said something that changed the trajectory of the summer. She said, I, I told her I kept coming back to this one verse over and over and over, and I got stuck on 15. And she said, have you read the rest of what Paul writes in the section? 
and I hadn't, I just got stuck on 15. And I think Satan used scripture to tempt Jesus, and he was using that scripture to tempt me, and twisting words from I to you. It was condemning, and I was believing lies, and I was deceived. And friends, I need to tell you this morning, if you have thoughts that are condemning and accusing, those are not from the Father. Those are from our enemy. Those are from Satan. The Father never speaks to us that way. They're lies. But we believe them. And what Paul goes on to share is life-changing in these verses. So I pray if you are here and you are struggling with the phrase or you have ever struggled with the phrase, what is wrong with me? Or you just can't break a habit pattern that you want to break or a sin habit or a thought pattern. I pray you'll lean in for the next few minutes because I believe God wants to change the way you think. I think God wants to renew our minds. But before we look at the rest of what Paul says in chapter seven, I need to share a couple of really big ideas that Paul shared in the first six chapters of Romans. And we're gonna take just a few minutes, maybe five or six minutes, and build a foundation as a base. We're gonna go pretty deep here. I like to say this is kind of doctoral level stuff, and I'm the guy who was asked to leave physics in high school because I just wasn't keeping up. So pray for me. If Paul's that confusing when we read it, I pray for clarity. So here's the big ideas we need to get before we jump back to chapter seven. The first one we need to understand If you're following in your notes, we're we're born with a sin nature. It's natural for us to sin. It's natural for us to sin. There is a nature inside of us before we follow Jesus that generates ungodly thoughts that we accept as truth and act on. There's a nature inside of us that generates ungodly thoughts and we accept it as truth and we act on them. And we can't stop it. We can't stop it. Now, you may be saying to yourself, right, Brian, isn't that a little harsh? You're telling me I'm born bad or that my kids are born bad? Here's what I'm telling you. It's natural for us to sin. And we're born with disobedient natures. You don't learn to sin. Nobody sat you down to say, this is how you do it. You just know how to do it, right? Anybody in the room have children? or you've ever been around children. You don't sit your kid down and say, this is how you say no to me all the time. This is how you say mine. I have a two-year-old. He is the stinking cutest kid. I mean, just melt your heart cute. And God makes little kids cute because we'd all be in prison if he didn't. (laughs) But he he makes them cute. And so I have this two-year-old. And he's in this like season right now where he smiles at you, you know, it's like, and then he throws his bowl of cereal on the ground and spills the milk and you got to clean it up. I didn't teach him that. He just does it. And I wasn't taught how to sin either. I just did it. I look back over my life and I didn't learn how to make bad decisions. I just made bad decisions. They came out of my heart. I did what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted. I just had a sin nature. From birth, we learned to live our lives independent of God. And rather than having our needs met by God, we 
We sought to meet our own needs, and we developed patterns and thoughts of behavior that centered on ourselves. I'm going to say it again. Before we followed Jesus, we lived our lives independent of God, and we formed habit patterns and thought patterns in our minds where we sought to serve our own needs. But, I mean, if we stop there, right, that's horrible news. I mean, that is terrible, but the good news of Jesus and the reason we gather to proclaim who Jesus is is because when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, when we say, I admit I'm a sinner, I repent, I turn from my sins, Jesus, I want you more than I want what I want, and I need to be forgiven, and I believe what you did on the cross was die for the forgiveness of my sins, and you rose from the dead in victory over sin and death. I want you to be the leader of my life, Jesus. When we say those words, something happens. In a moment, we are no longer the same person. In a moment. If you're following in your notes, in Christ, we are made alive and given a completely new nature. A completely new nature. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul would write, would you read this with me? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. In Romans 6.6, Paul would write, read this as well. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Instead of a sinful nature now living inside of you when we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you. And what that means when we're in Christ, if you're following in your notes, we now have control and power. You can write both those words in. We now have control and power over the influence of sin in our lives. We can choose not to sin. You really can choose not to sin. We're no longer enslaved to it. We no longer need to be mastered by it. So then we come back to the question, then why is morphing into the likeness of Jesus so hard? We're new. We're new creations, a new spirit, a new soul, new hearts. Why is it so hard? The Bible tells us that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that we have an enemy, the devil, that prowls around like a lion looking for people to devour. And that means that even though we're new creations, we will struggle with the influence of sin the rest of our lives. We will struggle with temptation as long as we're on this earth. If you're following in your notes, another way to say it, just for clarity, I want to get really clear, the penalty for sin has been paid. The power of sin defeated. The influence of sin remains. The penalty's been paid. The power's been defeated. The influence of sin remains. And to fight this fight, we need to understand how temptation works and where temptation and the influence of sin comes from, and then we're going to get right back into Paul and see how it plays out. Right, we said this, when we had a sin nature before we followed Jesus, we lived independent of God, 
And ungodly thoughts were generated inside of us and we couldn't say no. We continually gave in to our cravings. We were enslaved to sin. We're made new when we follow Jesus. But here it is, so, so important, critical. When we follow Jesus, we can't just hit the delete button in our minds of what we filled our minds with before we followed Jesus. Did you catch that? When we follow Jesus, we can't just hit the delete button in our minds of what we have filled our minds with before following Jesus. And this is why we will struggle with the same things after following Jesus that we struggled with before following Jesus. We should see improvement and sanctification and growing more into the likeness of Jesus, but when we struggle with the things after following Jesus that we struggled with before following Jesus, where we tend to go is, I'm just a failure, I'm a loser, I guess Jesus doesn't have power for me, I guess it didn't mean anything when I made a decision to follow Jesus. We just go down these roads and we think I should be farther along than I am. We shouldn't struggle with this anymore. There's no way out. I can't say no. Everybody else can do it. I can't. And what we need to know, we find ourselves with these tempting thoughts and we conclude there's something sick about us that we're messed up. And the stronger the temptation, the worse we think we are. But the truth is, the power of temptation depends on the strength of the strongholds which have been developed in our minds when we lived independently of God. The power of the strength of the temptation depends on what we have filled our minds with before we follow Jesus because we can't hit the delete button. That's why Paul would say, we need to train in the renewing of our minds. He doesn't say you get a new mind. He says you need to renew it and be transformed. Neil Anderson, an author and a Christian counselor, gives a great illustration of this. Uh, I love coffee, so I love this illustration even more. He says, think of your mind as a full pot of coffee. You got that? Think of your mind as a full pot of coffee. Because of what you've put into it, the coffee pot is dark and smelly. You desire your mind to be like clear water, but there's no way to filter out the coffee once it's been put inside the pot. There's no delete button. Now imagine a bowl of crystal clear ice alongside the coffee pot that says the word of God. There's no way you can dump the whole bowl of ice in at once, but you can put in a cube every day. And if you did that long enough, You wouldn't be able to taste, smell, or even see the coffee you had originally put inside, even though it's still there. This is why it's so important what we fill our minds with, what we watch on television, what movies we go to, what we listen to, what we fill our bodies with. This is why Paul told us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Friends, we we have to know this if you're following in your notes. We are not in a battle. This is like the crux of the argument. We are not in a battle against our old self. We are in a battle against the influence of sin. You are not fighting you. 
You are fighting the influence of sin in your life. You're fighting temptation. You're not messed up. You're not a failure. You're not a loser. You're not even abnormal. You are a saint who struggles with sin. And Paul, to go back to Romans 7, he would address this. And he, he shows that there's conflicting, con, conflicting things going on in his life. He, he's not saying I'm a terrible person. He recognizes he's in a battle. In Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, Paul says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. He loves the Lord. He wants to follow the Lord. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. You can see Paul wrestling with this idea. I I know who I am, but why do I struggle? It's this law of sin and the influence of sin in my life that makes war against my mind. The battlefield in the fight is the mind. And it's what we need to continually renew. And here's why this is so important to understand. If you're following in your notes, the, the key mistake we make in the fight The key mistake is that we mistake our struggle with sin for our identity in Christ. We confuse the two. We mistake our struggle with sin for our identity in Christ. And when we mistake our struggle against the power of sin and influence of sin for our identity, and we think we're in a battle against our old self, when we think that, We think if we just try hard enough, we can whip our old self into shape and then we'll make better decisions. And it is so defeating. If I just read the Bible more, if I just come to church more, if I give a little more money away or serve more, I'll make better decisions. And what happens is that people get tired of beating themselves up so they walk away from God under a cloud of defeat and condemnation and you hear things that sound like, well, that's just who I am. I'll never change. I'm just a failure. I don't even think I'm saved. I'm dead in sin and sin still has power over me. We mistake our struggle with sin for our identity in Christ, and it's exactly what the enemy wants to do to us to take us out of the game. He deceives us, and we believe the lie. Brendan Manning is one of my favorite authors. He's a Catholic priest who spent years ministering to the less fortunate in New Orleans. He says that in his 28 years of ministry, the predominant spiritual problem that he had to deal with was self-hatred. Unhealthy guilt, shame, and remorse. And if you're following in your notes, mistaking our struggle with sin for our identity leads to self-hatred and condemnation. The key mistake, it leads to self-hatred and condemnation. When we confuse the struggle with identity, we start listening to a narrative that sounds condemning in our heads. We all have a soundtrack we listen to, right? We all have a soundtrack. When I was out running this summer, mine sounded like this. 
You're not good enough. You're a failure. You'll never get it right. That's just who you are. That's who you'll always be. You're worthless. I give up. I have to believe that somebody in this room has that same soundtrack in their head. And that's the narrative you hear. You are, you are, you are, and it's all condemning. That is not from the Father. And it's easier to recognize in other people than yourself, but man, do we believe it when we hear it. We get on this cycle of failure, shame, guilt, hate, I promise I'll never do it again. Try harder, fail again, shame, guilt. I hate myself more. I'll make promises I can't keep. I'll try harder, I hate myself. It's a crazy cycle and it is exhausting and it makes us miserable. Some of you are here this morning and you are exhausted and you are miserable. Paul got there too. This super Christian struggled with what we struggle with. In verse 24, he wrote, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I don't know whether Paul was struggling with a current sin habit that he couldn't get out of or whether it was just past memories of what he had done to Christians. But this cycle led him to say what a miserable person I am. And as Paul processed all this, as he thought about the struggle with sin in his life, he comes to a conclusion in verse 25. Would you read this with me in the second gray box on your notes? Paul says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. As Paul processed this, I think what Paul learned is that the way out of this is not to try harder. Listen, Paul was a Pharisee. It was all about doing And I think what God had to rewire in his mind is it's not about doing, it's about becoming and doing flows out of becoming. We can't try hard enough to work our way out of this. And notice Paul, I love this, just this little bitty thing in the scripture. Paul doesn't say, I'm miserable, what must I do to be set free? Paul says, I'm miserable, who will rescue me? And he concludes that the one who can rescue him is Jesus. And that's why this good news of Jesus, friends, it, it, it doesn't just rescue us from the past and rescue us for the future and a place to live in heaven. It rescues us and frees us from the present, from being enslaved to things like fear and insecurity and anger and self-reliance and bitterness and entitlement and self-hatred and pride. Every one of us struggles with this. And if you don't struggle with it, then I'm thankful to the Lord because your mind is being renewed. But train yourself and prepare yourself because this is how our enemy works. He will come to us as a thought in our minds and it will be deceitful and we'll have a choice to whether we believe it or we replace the lie with the truth. And as we close, I wanna wanna pull three things out of this scripture that I believe helped Paul in his struggle 
with sin and what can help us. These are ways we can train in the renewing of our minds instead of trying. It's training. One, if you're following on your notes, confess. Confess to God and each other. Name reality. Like confession is just agreeing with God. That's what it means, agreeing with God. We name reality. There comes a time where, where we say, enough is enough. No more pretending. This is insane. I have a problem. I'm exhausted. I'm miserable. I need help. I can't do this on my own. God will only meet us where we really are. He's not a pretending God. He won't play games with us. But if we confess where we really are, he will meet us there. And I wish this wouldn't have taken so long for me to figure out. But the only thing I found to help break this cycle of false expectations that I have for myself is to cry out to God, admit that I'm a sinner, and I need him. Every day, every morning. Sometimes going to God's the last thing we think about because we just want to try so hard. We have this curse of competence, right? I'm good at most things, so I can whip my old self into shape. We need to go to him. Confession allows us to train ourselves to seek God instead of trying so hard. Not only does the Bible encourage us to confess to God, in 1 John 1, 9, but we're encouraged to fess to one another. James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Man, what, what if Cherry Hills, this was a community of weakness and vulnerability and sharing with one another the broken parts of us? We don't put on our Sunday best and go to church and say everything's good and we don't go to our life groups and act like we have it all together, but we admit that we are followers of Jesus who still struggle with the influence of sin in our lives. And then we pray for each other and we encourage one another, we strengthen one another. I think it'd be an amazing thing to see if we just admitted, you know what? We're not failures, we're saints who struggle with sin. I just admit it. One author I read this week said, uh, confession is only the first step because we can easily get caught in this uh, cycle of sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, and eventually give up. So after confession, if you're following in your notes, the second thing that we do and that we saw Paul do, right? He's talking to himself. He's, he's remembering who he is. Our second thing we do in training is we remember we remember who we are in Christ. When the lies come, and they will, when we're influenced by sin, we need to remember who we are in Christ. We renew our minds by taking every thought captive to Christ. We recognize the lie when it comes. It doesn't sound like the Father. It sounds condemning or accusing or hateful. And we replace the lie by reminding ourselves of who we are found in God's word. 
We see Paul tell the readers in almost every book he writes who they are in the first half of a book before he ever tells them how to behave in the second half of a book because he knew they needed to be reminded of their identity. And what this means is when you mess up and when you struggle with sin, remember you are not in a battle with your old self because your old self has been crucified. You are made new. You are made alive. It is not what we do. Listen, it's not what we do that determines who we are. It's who we are that determines what we do. It's not what we do that determines who we are. Our identity is sealed in Christ. We are adopted. And we behave out of that identity. If we could remind ourselves who we are in Christ, we would make different decisions. We are new creations. Listen, you may feel like you hate yourself, but Jesus loves you not as you should be, but as you are, because you never will be as you should be this side of heaven. He loves you right now as you are. He doesn't want you to stay there but he loves you as you are. I heard this great definition of self-hatred this summer. The guy said, self-hatred is thinking more about your opinion of yourself than God's opinion of you. Self-hatred is thinking more about yourself than God's opinion of you, and that's why we need to remember our identity in Christ in order to fight the influence of sin in our lives. If we remember who we are, it will influence what we do. Again, this is why we encourage everybody to be in God's word every day, not to check it off a list, not to be a Pharisee, but to train yourself in the renewing of your mind by filling your mind with his truth of who you are and who he is. And the third way we see Paul break this cycle of crazy and saying I'm miserable, trying so hard, the third way we see if you're following in your notes, is we give thanks. We give thanks. Thanksgiving has great power to bring joy and break the power of the enemy. It has unbelievable power. Have you ever thought about this? Thankfulness is the opposite of every sin you will ever commit. Think about it. The logic of sin is greedy, obsessive lust for things we want or do not have. It's all about us. Thankfulness destroys sin because instead of looking around for what we do not have, thankfulness looks around and is content with everything we do have. It gets our eyes off ourselves and help us focus back on God. And we see Paul say this, right? Who will free me from this life of sin and death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who will deliver me. Thankfulness turns our eyes upward. So as we prepare for communion this morning, I I thought we could practice these things. We're gonna take just a few moments and we're going to practice them here. And then you can do this at home throughout the week to practice the renewing of your mind. It's perfectly legal to do this at home. And so I wanna invite you In the next couple minutes, the the lights are being dimmed. Michelle is playing. I want to invite you to close your eyes. I want to invite you to breathe. 
Just breathe. Just take a deep breath in and exhale. Jesus is as near to us as our breath and his grace fills us. I want to ask you with your eyes closed and maybe your palms facing upward as a sign of surrender, I want you to bring to your mind that thing you hold most in judgment or contempt about yourself. What do you do that you hate? What habit pattern can you not get out of? What is it that makes you say, what is wrong with me? And with your hands open, I I just, I encourage you to admit that to God. Admit that you're a sinner and you struggle with this. that his grace covers you he meets you where you are and he can give you power in your weakness once we confess that we fill our minds with the truth of who we are based on his word so would you read several scriptures with me on the screen as we fill our minds as we train in the renewing of our minds we read Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5 together But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. We read Galatians 2.20 together. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. We read 2 Corinthians 5.17 together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And this last one, please note what we're about to read are the next words that Paul writes after identifying his struggle with sin. After saying, I'm saved, but I struggle, and I'm going to continue to struggle, these are the words Paul writes in Romans 8, 1 and 2. Would you read these with me? It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
brothers and sisters, that's who we are. And we need to remember that in the fight.